Casey Smith of the TFOM Podcast here for Season 4, Episode 4. And we have a special guest. As you know, the Bearcats will be heading to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to take on the Pitt Panthers on Saturday at 6.30 Eastern Time because we will be having some Central Times and other, other time zones this year. Um, and uh, it's an old rival, and we have a special guest. We have uh, Chris Carter from thepostgazette.com. Um, this guy covers Pitt Panthers, and if you guys are Bengals fans, you might not like him because he covers the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, which you in Cincinnati. But we're not going to touch the Steelers right now. That would be another day. And uh, But, uh, Chris, man, how, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, it's it's football season, man. I, I like being back in the groove. I was I get tired of having to make up topics in the <laughs> offseason. Now we got actual football to talk about. So it's exciting. For sure, man. It's like you're looking at depth charts like, all right, where where can we uh, get some <laughs> views at? Right. <laughs> like where's the transfer at? But mm-hmm. uh, which, which is no shortcoming nowadays. But the transfer portal it makes it interesting. It's almost like the, the NBA and the NFL kind of. But uh um, just to start, man, you guys are, you know, you guys are wanting to know, just like the Bearcats. Um, you had the Bearcats haven't played Pitt since 2012. Mm-hmm. You guys, um, played against Walford 147, or 45 to seven. Um, just with it being the first game, um, uh, Pat Narduzzi, you know, being there, uh, a veteran solid coach, you guys have been a solid team the last few years, even more. Um, what did the, did the first game impress you or what was your like takes your your pros and cons of the first game? You know, I was impressed by a few things with the with their first game, you know, covering Pitt. This is my fourth season covering Pitt now. So, you know, I saw the Kenny Pickett days, both mm-hmm. when he was a superstar and a little bit before. And um, I think one thing that impressed me was the rhythm that Phil Dracovic was able to display. And I wrote about that for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette as well. Um, but. Um, one thing that didn't happen a lot last year was Keaton Slovis, the transfer quarterback who they brought in right after Kenny Pickett's big year when they won the ACC championship. He didn't really establish a rhythm in the offense, and a lot of his plays were shorter passes, and he, he never looked comfortable in the offense. Well, the thing about Pitt's new quarterback, Phil Jakovic, who's actually from Pittsburgh, um, he reunited with his old offensive coordinator from his days at Boston College, and that's Frank Signetti Jr., who is in his second year of this stint of coaching Pitt's offense. People don't might not know, he used to coach Pitt's offense way back in the late 2000s as well, uh, but then he bounced around the NFL for many years, and now he's back at Pitt. But Frank Signetti also coached Phil Dracovic in 2020 and 2021 when, they're both, when they were both at Boston College. Now Dracovic's back, and he looks very well fit into the offense. You saw that, and he didn't light it up on the stat sheet, but if you look at the tape, just the throws that he was making, understanding when to go in certain directions, you know, he looked like he had a command of the offense, and that was impressive for a first game. Took them a, about a drive and a half or so before they really got going. Uh, but Pitt's an offense that last year dominated on the ground. Israel Batacanda led all uh, led all scores in college football everywhere with his ability to just break plays loose. The offensive line was dominant. They're dominant again this year. Uh, and they still have Rodney Hammond, who's going to be a really big threat. They have a stable of running backs that they're going to like to use. So they'll have a balanced attack. But Phil Dracovic didn't look phased by his new offense. And I thought that was the most impar- impressive part of the the win they had over Wofford. So with him, you know, <clears throat> having an impressive first game, who do you think are going to be – like who is his target? So I know – Every team has multiple receivers, but who are mm-hmm. his main guys that you think he's built that connection with fast for him being a first-year quarterback with, with Pitt? Well, one guy is Bub Means. You know, he didn't get a, a ton of big plays in this past game, but this guy runs a 4-3 flat. 
He's 6'2". He has really good hands. I saw him make some ridiculous catches all through training camp. They're waiting for Bub Means to break loose. And I think this past game was sort of just a test run to see how like certain plays worked. But Bub Means is going to be a big factor for Pitt this year. And I think he's going to be a guy that they're going to be talking about around draft time to see like where, where teams want to take him because of how athletic he is. And he has a he has a great personality. He's kind of the leader of Pitt's wide receiver core right now. And he's looking really strong. But the other guy that you got to look out for is Gavin Bartholomew, their top tight end. If you want to look up the what you know the, the what Gavin can do when he gets a chance to play, go back, go back and look at Pitt versus Tennessee last season. There was a play where Keaton Slovis hit him on a simple out route it was a nice little like 15 yard game and then all of a sudden Gavin Bartholomew just hurdles one of the Tennessee defenders and then takes it for a 50 yard touchdown he's he's that athletic that explosive and he's gotten sharper now he's a junior those are the two guys that I'll be looking at but I gotta be honest Pitt has developed a slew of weapons here Carter Johnson is a converted defensive tackle who now plays tight end and he he caught a very impressive combat catch in the end zone this past week against Wofford uh even Malcolm X who has uh, I keep calling him Malcolm X. His name is Malcolm Epps with two P's. I, I, we, we told ourselves as soon as we saw him transfer to Pitt from USC, we're like, we're going to call that guy Malcolm X all year long. <laughs> but uh, but this guy is, a, is six foot seven with an insane wingspan. He's a red zone threat. There's so many guys to target, including freshman receivers, Kenny Johnson and Zion Fowler L, who both are going to be threats, and Kanate Mumfield, who's a really good route runner. There's so many weapons in this Pitt offense. I don't. I think it's going to be one of the biggest things is distributing the football and finding ways to get it to the right guys at the right times. But that's the thing. If I'm sorry, if I'm if I'm focusing on one or two, Bub Means and Gavin Bartholomew, they're right at the top of the list. Right. So we're going to switch sides. We're going to get to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I was at the press conferences uh, this afternoon. Coach Satterfield said. Pittsburgh, they get after the quarterback. That's something that he's used to seeing with him playing, you know, having a couple matchups when he was at Louisville. And now he'll be the first time, you know, you see will be matched up against them. So it'll be different personnel, but it'll be some familiar faces. Um, like who are the guys that are getting after the quarterback um, on this um, physical defense? Well, uh, Dayon Hayes is probably going to be the biggest name that you'll see. He's the edge rusher. Uh, coming off the left side for Pitt, he's uh, he's he's been really impressive. He was a four-star recruit years ago. The impressive thing here, JT, is that a lot of these guys have been lying in wait. Like these were guys that if they could have transferred years ago, because Pitt Pitt had so many guys just just coming up. That like Kalaja Kansi was a first-round draft pick at defensive tackle, and. Uh, there were guys behind him who have been waiting their turn for about four years, and now they're finally getting it, but they stuck around. That's the impressive part of Pitt's roster here. And this defensive line, you're, 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 you know, Satterfield wasn't lying. This is the best part of Pitt's team is the defensive front, their ability to get after the quarterback and to change the line of scrimmage against the run. Since 2019, the Pitt Panthers have finished in the top five in sacks in the country every single year. A big part of it is defense and line coach Charlie Partridge. He just gets the best out of his guys. They have several people that go to the NFL. Uh, Rashad Weaver, who's with the the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Patrick Jones is with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and then you can go Kalaja Kansi last year. And then other guys that, you know, get in the league and kind of bounce around. They have talent, and right now, if I was to pick one guy at the top of the list, it'd be Dayon Hayes, but they are extremely deep. Nate Temple's another edge rusher who's been really impressive, as is Bam Brimma and Dakai Johnson. Um, even like third stringers, like Sam Lola, who's a redshirt freshman, he's been lighting it up. He got a sack and a tackle, tackle for loss. And then up the middle, you got DeAndre Jules, who I've watched be a backup for the past three years, and then it was he said over the offseason, he realized, huh, 
maybe I shouldn't eat so many sweets. He lost weight and now he's like crushing everything in front of him. And I'm like, this dude just really just figured out dieting was, was, was what was holding him back. And now he is a problem. And Pat Narduzzi is even talking about him. Like he could be the next first round draft pick mm. for the Pitt Panthers. If he keeps blowing it up and he had a really impressive game against Wofford, Devin Danielson, a local product, really, really physical up front. Uh, but then again, there's extremely deep here as well. David green, a red shirt senior and a captain on the team. He's, rotates in as either a starter or a backup uh tyler bentley uh aaron donald's nephew elliot donald is a backup on, on, on at defensive tackle and then sean fitzsimmons who might be he might be the most talented of the defensive tackle group he's another he's another red shirt freshman he's a guy who's been waiting his turn that's the thing they're so deep on the defensive line that there's one guy that you could point at Dan Hayes, but it's really their their work as a collective that they can send a four at you for two drives, and you'll be like, man, those guys are bringing it. Then they'll give those four breaks, send another four in, and you're like, wait a second, how are these guys this fresh and still this good? That's what Pitt does to you up front, and it will challenge. I, I think their best hope of stopping Cincinnati's explosive offense is, is disrupting the timing, getting in the backfield, and trying to get to Emory Jones. If they're off, if they can dominate the, the line of scrimmage, that might be their best ticket to kind of breaking up that Satterfield offense that Pitt very well respects because they faced it quite a few years at Louisville. For sure, and then you guys um, have a very experienced back end. I know you're very long at the tooth at cornerback, and then pretty young, younger at safety. Mm -hmm. um, the high power offense, like do you think the corners match up very well with the, the Bearcats receivers for this game? Talent-wise, yes. MJ Devonshire is a future NFL cornerback, as is Marquez Williams and as is A.J. Woods. And those three are all redshirt seniors who have been in Pitt's system for at least three years each now. They're ready to rock. MJ Devonshire, uh, he's had some crazy pick sixes. He's been a guy that's an extremely, extremely impressive athlete. Marcus Williams is the, is the dog of the secondary. He's like the guy you do not want to bark at because he will take your head off. AJ Woods might be the most impressive athlete with his with his explosive speed at any point in time. All three of those corners are dangerous. The safeties, there are other guys, like I said about the defensive line, guys waiting their turn. Both of these guys, Javon McIntyre and PJ O'Brien or Philip O'Brien Jr., um, the two of them have been waiting a couple years, a few years now. Each of them, this is their third year in the program, and they've been waiting for their chance to start. But because Pitt had too many good safeties ahead of them, guys like Demar Hamlin, guys like Brandon Hill and Eric Eric Hallett, over the past couple years, they've been. They, they, there's no way they could get on the field. So now these are guys that have been waiting their turn. I think Javon McIntyre is the ace of the safety group. PJ O'Brien is very good. I think MJ Devonshire is the top corner of the cornerback group. The one thing I think that Cincinnati can rely on, though, because here's here's the thing about Pitt's defense is that they play a lot of island coverage, and it can get the it can be the best thing about them. It can also be the worst thing about them because. When you live with guys winning in one-on-one -on -one coverage in the secondary and they're winning in one-on-one -on -one coverage, it means your defensive front then has, you know, at any point in time, six guys who can just send heat and there's nothing that you can do about it as an offense. You just got to you just gotta try to win with the outside. And if you're not hitting your receivers, you're going to get crushed by this defense. But if you can capitalize on it, get some big plays, Pitt's defense, the way it's styled up, it, it's, it's, a, it's a feast or famine play in the secondary. And that's with one thing that works over the years now. It's worked against them at times, but it also when when you know, cornerbacks and safeties love to play in the system because they show NFL guys like, hey, 
I can be that guy who can be live on an island. If you find success success in Pitt's defense, you'll find success in the NFL, as they've shown. They've had several defensive backs taken over the past five or six years in the NFL, and it's something that I think they highlight. So there's talent back there, but if Cincinnati wants to take their big shots like they did against Eastern Kentucky, I think that that'll be, that'll be the matchup of the game that could even determine who wins this game is if uh, the Bearcats' offense can get the best of the Panthers' secondary. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's literally what we talked about in the presser today, just about how aggressive Pitt's defense is mm-hmm. and how they leave those corners on the island. And they had a million – like, I mean, I think Satterfield said they, you got three guys that play corner that all have over 2,000 snaps Yep, in college. That's exactly correct. That's crazy. exactly correct. And if you look back, I think they have over the past two years six pick sixes. Like, that's how – they, they When they get the ball, they're offensive. Like, yeah. as soon as they catch the pass, they're like, let's go, let's block. That's how they beat West Virginia last year in the backyard brawl, one of the highlights of the season last year. Oh, yeah, and then game. they they started the game, I think, with three pick sixes against Virginia last year. Like, they, they were just on – they're just – if they catch on to what your QB is doing, they will take advantage of it, and they will carry that swagger the entire game. If Emory Jones wants to be successful, he cannot feed these guys with mistakes. He cannot make the mistakes that give these guys momentum to build off of because then they'll feed off that energy. They'll still have that tone, and then you're gonna, you are gonna got to find a way to disrupt it, and it's just so hard to disrupt once this defense gets going. Well, I'll, have, I'll uh, throw a curveball to you right now. Sure. With the offense and defense. Special teams. Like I had I haven't done my research on special teams. So I've done my research on everything else, but I haven't. How kicking game, playing game, returners, how how are they looking for Pitt this year? Better than they have been the past couple of years. Pitt used to have some really good, a really good field goal kicker and a really good punter about two, three years ago. Uh, but then those guys graduated. Last year, Ben Sauls took took control of the kicking job uh in in being there and uh was really good. Uh, when he was when, when when once he figured things out, even one he won them the Sun Bowl uh, in the, against UCLA at the end of last season. He's been very consistent all through camp and to to start the season. So Ben Saul's a kicker, really impressive. Uh, Caleb Junko, uh, a pit, a pit a, uh, you know a guy whose family has been tied up in the pit program for many years, uh, but. He's a he's a kid who he took a hold of the punter position last year. They were they were rotating between three punters because they didn't like any of them. Junko now is the guy, and he looks impressive. Pitt should have had a, a a punt down at the one, but they had a couple freshmen they had working on the punt team, and they kind of messed that up in, in in this last game against Wofford. Best believe they're not gonna they're not gonna let that mess up happen again. Um, that's something that the, that that Panthers have been drilling all week long. So kicking and punting wise, they're pretty good, but at the return game. They've got some explosive characters, man. It's something to really watch out for. MJ Devonshire, who he's returned, he's returned special teams plays for touchdowns. He's returned interceptions for touchdowns. He is dangerous with the ball in his hands. He's from Aliquippa. If you don't know about Aliquippa, that's where Darrell Rebus and a lot of other NFL Hall of Famers are from. So uh, he he's about that life. AJ Woods also in that conversation with how fast he is. He runs like a four three ish uh, forty yard dash, and then they'll sub it. They'll still sub in guys like Bub Means, who again runs a four three three flat. And another guy that I think might be getting overlooked a little bit here, Cha and Wabuko. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman who has blazing speed. He's maybe as fast, if not faster, than Bub Means. Just a lot of athleticism back there on the special team. So that's another thing Cincinnati needs to watch out for. Do not give those guys space because if they get a lane, they will hit it, and they are so tough to stop when they're at top speed. Bearcats, listen to that. Listen to that. Take heed to that. you got to be smart on the special teams, it seems. So uh, 
Yeah, good good stuff right there. And then the enunciation of the red shirt freshman that was that was on point right there. Hey so, man, that's um, part of the job, baby. For sure, for sure. You definitely got to read it out. Got to spell it out. Um, <laughs> so cool, man. I appreciate your time. Um, you know, giving giving Bearcat Nation um, a great breakdown on what to expect on Saturday. And just let everybody know where they can catch your work and where they can um, like follow your tweets on social media, or if you want to give your Instagram, wherever you want to shout shout out, so people can uh, know to follow Chris Carter. Absolutely. First of all, I write for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, the paper of record here in in the in in the city of Pittsburgh. You can find all that at post-gazette.com, where you find all all of my written work there, as well as our podcast called the North Shore Drive Podcast, the Pit Mailbag, and a lot of other shows we do there. You can also find me on the Locked On Steelers podcast Monday through Friday on the Locked On Podcast Network, breaking down the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and. TikTok, which I'm starting to do now. Uh, so many social media things, but I, all, all those handles, same handle at Carter Critiques. You look that up, you'll find my work there. Uh, and, I, and don't be afraid to hit me up. I'm always glad to talk with people, even if you're not a fan of the teams I cover. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always happy to talk football. I love football; it's my favorite sports. I also cover pit basketball when they're in season. So lots of fun stuff there, man. And uh, thanks for having me, JT. This has been a lot of fun. All right, man. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for uh, for spending some time with me. And uh, do you ever get like hate, like tweets or something that think like you're the Hall of Famer, Chris Carter? Oh, <laughs> I was going to get that. I was going. I wanted to touch that. I had to touch that. I JT, to let you go. I got I got death threats one time. Like, really? Because no, cause the, man. So so that that Chris Carter, who I'm I'm a big fan of. I have his jersey in my room. Yeah. Um, because like, okay. I grew up, I grew up loving him. Because like, how couldn't you? He was one of the greatest receivers of all time. But Great, there was yeah. one time no. recently, like a couple years back, okay. he he was on like Fox News or whatever, or like Fox Sports or whatever, and he said something bad about Ben Roethlisberger. He said he was a bum. Said this, that, and the third. Said something, and I was like, cool, whatever. I had to open my Twitter account, and I see people tagging me. How dare you say that about 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 Ben Roethlisberger? You don't ever speak bad about. Now, mind you, I'm also a guy who criticizes Ben Roethlisberger more than the average Pittsburgh sports reporter. So there's so there's that too. So people might have just assumed that was me. But I'm like, he looks a whole different person to me. And then I had people like literally like saying, I know where you live, and I'm gonna come kill. I was like, okay. This this is where okay now y'all have to stop this isn't funny anymore this is getting real serious <laughs> oh, wow. so i i have been mistaken for him before on on twitter it, it was even brought up on a good morning football show uh where he kind of apologized like hey my bad man i didn't mean to get you caught up in my stuff uh so oh, nice. but uh but he's a he's a but he was a really cool guy so i i, I was i'm always appreciative of sharing his name yeah, that's dope. That's dope. I had to ask that question. I had I could not let you go without asking that question. I didn't know what the story was going to come with it, but I had to shoot that shot. So, uh, Chris, man, I greatly appreciate your time, man. Um, in Bearcat Nation, we will appreciate the breakdown, and we'll see what happens on Saturday, man. Uh, my guy, Neil Meyer, um, who um, is a partner of mine, he'll be there, and then my photographer, uh, Brandon Wesson. So hopefully they'll bump into you. I'll make sure they try to look out for you when at the – at the stadium, it's not Heinz Field anymore. So, it's Acrisure Stadium. No, I didn't. I didn't get that. Yep, I, I saw that. So, yeah, man. So Acrisure Stadium. They will see you there, hopefully. So cool, man. I appreciate you, and you have a good night, man. I appreciate. You. Hey everyone, uh, this is actually a two-part podcast of the CL Flan Podcast, um, season four, episode four. Um, I talked to uh, Chris. Christopher Carter, uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, earlier. And then now we're going to talk to my guy, my main man, Neil Meyer, um, and then get some Bearcats perspective 
as well as talk about, you know, last week and then just talk about, you know, what the Bearcats have to do to, to pull off a, a big roll win or to um, pull off the upset per se, because they are the underdogs going to, to Pittsburgh on Saturday. So, Neil, man, how you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Not too bad, man. Busy, busy, busy day. Busy Tuesday, man. You, you, how, how you feeling over there? Man, it's it's been a busy day, as we mentioned. We had press conferences early this afternoon. We had a little bit of practice action. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good quality content heading into pit week. For sure, man. For sure. And it's a big game, but we, we won't get into that yet. We'll start off with uh, the EKU win, man. Like it was an impressive win, sixty-six to thirteen. I know it's EKU, so everybody's like, "Hey, hey, chill." But what impressed you the most about Saturday's game at Nippert? I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was the play of Emory Jones. I know uh, a lot of people were really going to question heading into this season, hey, was Emory going to be that guy who is the quarterback at Florida in 2020? Was he going to return to that 2020 Emory Jones? And, I mean, after how he played Saturday, I mean, 19 for 23, 345 yards and five touchdowns through the air and then, nine carries, 26 yards, and two more touchdowns on the ground, setting a program record for seven touchdowns in a game. I mean, I mean that's impressive. I mean, we've talked to Xavier Henderson. I was the one who actually asked the question about what was cooking on offense, and Xavier responded that Emory was like the lunch lady serving, serving everybody today. So, overall, I thought uh, the play of Emory Jones is what really stood out to me. I think everyone kind of knew what to expect on the defensive end. Uh, for the Bearcats, and that's something that everyone's eyes have been on all offseason. But Emory Jones in the offense is really what was clicking. I mean, you bring in a wide receiver room that only has one guy returning from a season ago, and four wide receivers that were brought in via transfer portal all found the end zone on Saturday as well. I know we talked about it. It was EKU, but overall, it just seemed like the offense was really clicking there. For sure. And, you know, that's something we hinted on, like, early in the podcast, um, you know, especially this year or this fall, well, it's still summer, per se. But if you will check back, you know, that's when fall ball, per se, started. That was something that we kind of hinted on, like, the receivers are a lot better than we expected. And I think they would, you know, would flash, per se. And I think, you know, even though it's EKU, so you got to pump the brakes, but you see the potential for a very, very, very solid wide receiver room where in the spring, it just wasn't that. I mean, it was a few people that still were still going to be contributing members, but at the same time, when you only got one scholarship person there um, from a season ago, you know, it's, it's a lot thinner. So um, I thought that was pretty cool just to see them click and then just look like they've been together more than just a few months too. That, that was kind of like the big thing for me. So uh the atmosphere man like you being there boots on the ground like how was it um i know you've covered a lot of games as well so like how was it on on saturday especially against eku going to the big 12 was it did it feel a little bit more special just just being there yeah absolutely it the atmosphere was amazing obviously with everything surrounding the university of cincinnati right now with the move to the big 12 the new apparel deal a new coaching staff a lot of positive things heading into this season. And then all of a sudden you, you're down there when the team runs out onto the field before the game Saturday. And there were some of the guys like peeking around the tunnel there and just taking the moment to really 
embrace the crowd. I mean, you come, uh, Emery even said he came out, he peeked out of the tunnel there and all he saw was the whiteout. And he even said it was the first time in a long while where he got a little bit nervous heading out, heading out to the field. And I mean, you're just sitting there thinking, you're like, yeah, you're walking out. And I mean, everyone who knows the student section at Nippert Stadium knows it's like right on top of you. And that was a lot of things the coaching staff and a lot of uh, things the players had to say after the game was they really felt the energy from the crowd. I mean, they were right on top of you. The atmosphere was great. Uh, 11th largest crowd in program history, if I remember right, 39,000, almost close to 40,000 roughly. So that's a huge crowd. Obviously, it was EKU. Just imagine what it is in two weeks versus Oklahoma. So that would be a huge crowd. But the atmosphere was great, man. It was great. A lot of positive things. I mean, I think really once that first touchdown over the top to Xavier Henderson happened, I think all 33 new faces got a familiarity of what Nippert Stadium is like on game day heading into the uh, Big 12 season. For sure. 100%, man. 100%. So now that the EKU game is over, um, Emory Jones, we give him some props. If you've been watching the site, listen to the site, or not while listen to the site, um, checking the site out, you know that he was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week, Big 12 Newcomer of the Week uh, for his performance last week. And then uh, my man, Neil, he was able to talk to our D'Artagnan Tinsley uh, um, today. So that's up on the site. So that's that's one that uh, it's a one-on-one with my man Neil in the offensive alignment for the Bearcats. So check that out. Make sure you guys subscribe to their YouTube page. Um, finally over 400. We have 404, I think, now. So we creeping on to come up, coming close to that 1,000, slowly but surely. Um, but just keep helping us out, Bearcat Nation. We appreciate you guys. Um, but now, man, we t- return the page. They, uh, they are going to go on the road against Pitt um, on Saturday on the CW. For people that are watching the game in Cincinnati, if you do not have uh, cable, even if you do, um, you can, I want to say on Antenna, I know for sure it is 12.2. And that's for people that don't have cable. I'm not 100% which channel it is if you do have, because there's so many different um, different companies that you may use. But I know if you just unplug and have an Antenna and plug it in, 12, it is it's technically CBS 2. Point two, essentially. So it's twelve point two. So make sure you guys check that out, um, and be be supportive if you can't make it. Shout out to my man Neil. He will be at Akershire. I think I'm saying Akershire. Saying it wrong. It's Old Hines. And my man Chris showed told me how to say it too. I'm, I'm missing. I think it's Akershire Stadium. Um, he will be live there as long with uh, Brandon Wesson who will be from Westography. He will be shooting shooting the, the game as well. Um, I'll ask you this question just in general, but just like how excited are you to be able to cover um, a, a quality game like this for their in their first Big 12 uh, season? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I know we've had the experiences of going on the road in recent years. I know last year we did Arkansas week one, then we did UCF later in the season, and then, We've gone on the road quite a bit a few times throughout the few seasons we've covered together. But I think this is one that you're most excited for just because of the history between the programs. I mean, obviously, uh, River City rivalry, obviously the trophy 
has its dilemmas. A lot of I know a lot of pit people are were asking about, hey, is the trophy coming back? We don't got an answer. Yeah. But <laughs> overall, I mean, it it's a rivalry that's got so much history for it. I mean, you look back the last time these two teams played, it was Pike the Bins. And what else can you really describe when you hear Pike the Bins? I mean, it's a it's a memory that you it sticks with you. If you're a Bearcat fan, no matter where you go, I mean, it's not not every day where you're on the road at their house, come back late in the game, and Tony Pike throws a dot to Armand Benz with 40 seconds left to win the game. Or it might have even been less than 40 seconds. But you throw a dot to win the game on the road, that's a huge momentum changer. So that's the first thing that comes to mind when people think, hey, Pittsburgh-Cincinnati is that final play. Obviously, but the excitement around this game is huge. I mean, Pitt's sitting right outside the top 25. They're receiving votes. Yeah. They're sitting, I believe it was 30 or 31st. Yeah, the eight yeah. poll that came out today, they received eight first-place votes. But overall, I mean, this is a Pitt team that loves to get after the quarterback. They finished second in the nation in sacks last season, right behind Coach Satterfield in Louisville. I mean, this is a, a Pitt team who loves to get after it, loves to be aggressive, and it's it's going to be a test. Everyone knows that Pitt comes in favorited set, uh, as seven-point favorites early on. But I've, I was telling people earlier today, I think it's going to be a lot closer of a game than people expect. And it really just comes down to the play of Emory Jones and the Bearcats offense. I know it's not EKU like we've talked about. Pittsburgh is ex- returning a very, a very experienced defensive secondary. I know Coach Sat mentioned that they were charting in his press conference. The quote was, we were charting guys and three to four guys have played 2,000 plus snaps. I mean, you're thinking about that. If you can play 2,000-plus snaps in a college career, that's incredible, especially yep. in today's world due to injuries, transfer portal, all that all that fun stuff. But 2,000-plus snaps on the defensive aspect is huge, and Pittsburgh has two or three of those guys alone in the secondary. So overall, they're returning a very experienced team. Yeah, they did lose Defensive Player of the Year in Khalid Kansi, who was a first-round draft pick this offseason or this past spring, but – Overall, Pitt's still going to be Pitt. They're still going to be aggressive. They're still going to come out firing. They're still going to find ways to make you uncomfortable. So it's going to be a fun test this Saturday. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. So you already hit, like, on the key. Like, you know, I think Emory Jones is definitely going to be key. How the offensive line's communication is in that environment is going to be key, I think, honestly. I feel like the defense is going to do their thing. Um, Pitt's talented, so they, they'll get some plays. It's not going to be EKU where they just dominate them and, you know, hold them to points and where the third string, third and fourth string is playing. Um, but I feel like um, it's all about the offensive lines, communication, and just holding their own. They don't have to be great, but I just think they have to allow Emory to be able to hit some big plays occasionally and then Emory play on time. So, like, where um, those corners are super aggressive. So, it, you know, they don't want – you don't want it to where they're jumping routes or whatever or make them pay for jumping the route. So, uh I think like Emory doesn't turn the ball over a lot, so that's a good thing. But it's just something that can't pop up. I think the turnover battle will be huge, um, huge on Saturday because the Bearcats they play clean. Which I thought they played very clean against EKU. Um, they can't have uh, 
silly penalties, silly, silly penalties, you know, like which the Bearcats are used to having, you know, like in general, you know, this is a different coaching staff. So I think the first game I feel like what impressed me the most, I feel like the team was real clean. I think they only had like what, five penalties. I think it was only five penalties. Yeah. Yeah. Like five penalties. And that's when's the last time and other respects to the old staff. When's the last time that you've seen the Bearcats have made it through a game with only five penalties? A while. It's been a while. You know, like just five penalties. I haven't looked at that. I'm pretty sure. I mean, like the Bearcats were one of the most penalized teams in college football, you know, the last few years. So for them to play clean, not give silly penalties, um, it's going to be key. So especially on the road. I mean, and then, you know, it'll be a a good precursor for the Big 12 just because I think the ACC is a little bit better than people expect, even myself. Um, as of watching those teams, a lot of those teams play this weekend and last weekend as well. So uh, they got to play clean. I think that's the key thing. And the offensive line has to be stable. And I feel like they were very, very good against EKU. So I don't want to um, downplay how bad, I mean, you know, downplay their their quality that they did against EKU. It's just that EKU isn't pit. So that's the thing. So they have to just take the next step. And I feel like Satterfield is going to get them, Satterfield and Cruz are going to get them right. Um, and then we'll see what happens, man. Because I think they're gonna have to score points and they're gonna have to hit get some big plays because if they don't, those the defense will just start restricting the area of the team. So you know it might it could get ugly on that end. But I think the Bearcats have enough pieces in place where they can make some of those plays and keep the defense honest because it's um feast or famine defense. So it's you know, they put people on the island, you gotta win your one-on-ones. And if you win more than you lose and you have a chance, quarterback makes the plays, makes more plays than he doesn't, they, they have a good chance. So um, that's where I'm looking at um, right now. It's the thing. Emory and the line are going to be key to me. I think everything else would be working itself out. And especially yeah, with Satterfield, the thing that makes me feel good, and I'm gonna add, I'll pass it to you, Neil, is that Satterfield has seen Pitt, even though it's not been at UC. He's seen them the last few years. So I think he'll have the right game plan and be able to put the players in the right spot to be successful. Um, and then how do, how do you feel about that as well? Yeah, I think, I think that's huge. I know coach Satterfield has seen pick quite a few times during his time in the ACC, but I know the last two matchups versus Pitt while he was at Louisville were close games. I know he mentioned the 23 20 loss earlier this afternoon when we talked about him, but I think for the Bearcats, what I'm one matchup I'm going to be honed in on, myself while we're covering this game is how does Pitt play a guy like Dante Corleone? We heard Pat Narduzzi's comments that Dante Corleone is the main guy up front and he causes a lot of havoc, but I'll be curious to see if Pat Narduzzi tries to send a, a double at him and a guy like Juwan Briggs. And if that leaves a guy like Daniel uh, Grishik one-on-one on the outside, that's huge. And we, we talked to Dan, uh, DG after the game on Saturday, and, and he loves it when he's one-on-one. He felt like it was one-on-one all day Saturday, and he he was like, man, I, I didn't really get touched out there. Like, that's what led to him having seven-and-a-half tackles and two tackles for loss, a sack, and a forced fumble. So, I mean, if they can – if Pitt really comes out and tries to double a guy like Jawan Briggs and Dante Corleone, we obviously all know Dante's an All-American. Jawan's a freak of nature up front. Obviously, he's playing some of the best ball of his career. But if they try to send that double there, it's going to be curious to see what the Bearcats can do off the edge, whether it's a guy like Daniel Grish, uh, Grishik or 
some of the other guys, Eric Phillips can feast over there as well. So it's going to be curious to see what they can do on that edge there. If they Pitt really decides to send two on the, on the offensive line there for uh, to kind of chip those blocks and slow guys like Dante and Jawan down. But overall, I mean, you, you mentioned it. Emery's going to have to play a smart, clean game. The wide receivers are going to have to win their battles. Obviously it's going to be a lot of 50, 50 balls more than likely. Uh, Pitt does like to play a lot of man-to-man. They'll get right in your face. They'll, they're a physical, they're a physical team. They love to play man coverage. And if you can beat your guy in man coverage, I mean, they've been playing man coverage for the last four or five years, it feels like. But if you can beat your man and a guy like Xavier Worthy, uh, D. Wiggins, Donovan Ollie, Chris Scott, somebody, if you can beat your guys one-on-one, Braden Smith out the slot there, if you can beat your, if you can beat your man one-on-one, you're, it's, you're golden. You're golden because yeah. man coverage, all it takes is that one move and you're, you're home free. So if you can really find a way to get open, make the smart reads. I think Emery's going to have to find a way to make the smart throws. If you feel the pocket collapsing, just make the smart throw, make the check down or take off with it. And just get out of bounds. Don't try to do too much with it. I think if he tries to do too much, it might be a little bit of, of stress for the Bearcats fans. But overall, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. Obviously, we've talked about the seven and a half point spread, seven, seven and a half point spread. It, I have it coming down to a field goal, in my opinion. Mm. Field goal, no, field goal. I think it's going to be a close game, though. I think like that, that's what the EKU game gave me. It gave me hope, like as a as a fan. You know what I mean? Like take away the media part of it. I'm like, okay, these dudes are going to go on the road and have a chance. It's not just going to be the defense. The offense is going to come and play too. Um, it just depends on if it's going to be enough. I think it it can be, but like I said, like this is a game that I had personally had it marked as an L when I first saw the saw the schedule. But I don't feel like now I think it's a coin flip game. I don't think it's a seven or seven and a half or eight point game that they, depending on what, what sports book you go through um, right now, um, I don't think it's that type of game. I think it's really a coin flip where, um, Pitt has the advantage because they're at home, so you might I might think it's like a two and a half point type game personally. I just think the Bearcats have enough to enough firepower um, to, to to battle with these guys. And I think I know Pitt has has some has some talent as well. So it's going to be interesting to see you know how to how the corners hold up against against their their wide receiver. They got a lot of speed, um, solid line. So you know it's just going to be interesting overall just to see what's going to happen. But I think. It's going to be a good game, man. I think this is a very, very, very good test for the Bearcats. And we'll find out on Saturday, um, you know, late Saturday evening, if, you know, if they pass or fail. But um, even if they lose, I think long as they, if it's a close game and they handle, you know, they hold it down in just a couple plays here and there, hold some back, I think, um, I think it'll be a win. I mean, nobody likes, um, what's the damn thing where it's like a, uh, moral victory. Nobody likes a moral victory. But in a new, in a new, with a new coach, I think going on the road first time against a legit opponent, if they can keep it close, I think it's a win in general. And I, I honestly think this is a game that they, they can win. Like it's not uh, out of the realm. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they lost, if they won. You know what I mean? Like it's not gonna be. Oh my god, I can't believe they pulled it off. Unless they have one of those games where they were like down twenty-one zip or something, and they come back. But I think this would be a back and forth game, and then it'll just be about who's playing the cleanest. And I feel like the Bearcats have laid down groundwork, which we are not used to with playing clean. 
So if they can play clean like they did against EKU, it's not going to be as clean because it's not EKU this week. But I feel like they had those same principles. Um, can't have a crazy fumble, um, bad interception, um, misprotections. They can do that, play clean on that end. I think win the turnover battle um, again. I think that that'll be something that that can take. They can you know pull off the upset per se, or the or the I wouldn't call it an upset because the game. It's not like they're a twenty point underdog or nothing like that. But um, pull off the the victory, get the victory. So um, that's where I'll end it at. And Neil, man, do you want to add anything else before we uh, we let everybody go? Yeah, man, just continue to check out the front office news. You can see all of our stuff on our YouTube cha- uh, channel. You can follow myself, follow JT, and just, just continue to check us out, man. We appreciate all the support you guys have. And as always, just we really appreciate all the support. And just, just come rock with us. Come check us out a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Make sure y'all guys subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out the the website. We we're doing our what we can to consistently bring out good content. Um, hopefully, you guys are enjoying it. Uh, me, Neil. A shout out to my man Alex Frank, uh, Caleb Brewer, and then the, the master, the master photographer um, Brandon Wesson. Um, he's he's behind all the pictures. He's been killing it for a long time. So want to give everybody some love. Uh, make sure you guys. Uh, you know, wherever you listen to the pods, make sure you guys give us a, a five star or whatever you want. Even if you want to give us a one star, give us something um, and subscribe to it. If it's on you know, iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you listen to your pods. But uh, that's it, man. That's how we're going to end this pod. And then we'll check in with my man, Neil, a little bit next. Matter of fact, he'll probably have a vlog. Do you guys, hey, you guys, I'm talking to the to the audience, but hopefully you guys have been checking out his vlogs. He does after the game. Um, I haven't been able to do one with him yet, but hopefully against Miami, we'll be able to do one together. But he'll do one after Pitt, so make sure you guys check that out. I think I might go live after Pitt maybe for a little bit um, and just kind of get the make it not really a pod, just where we kind of talk Bearcats thoughts after the game. And then uh, we'll do that. My man Neil will be, be on the boots on the ground getting post-game for everybody, and I'll maybe go live for maybe about 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll just talk about how you feel about the game, good or bad, and we can kind of vent and uh, get ready for the next week. So um, I'm JT Smith and my man, Neil Meyer. We're going to sign out. Just make sure you guys check out the front office news, like and subscribe uh, to the TFN podcast.